Trying something new. Uh, Ryan Gard here. I, I don't really know if this is for anybody. Uh, I, th- I think I'm doing this so that my kids maybe have some funny stories to listen to. I hope they don't listen to some of these until they're a lot older. But just for fun, maybe just because I just love the sound of my own voice in this echoey little office of mine here in Westerville, Ohio. Just needed a place to put all this down. I actually wrote uh, a bunch of this, and maybe I'll just read that and kind of riff on it a little bit. But it's sitting in a little WordPress post here. It's like 6,700 words, I think is what it just said, which is like 53,000 short of a normal memoir, apparently. Um, But this isn't a memoir. This is my diary. Uh, And so... This is just a little something for my kids to remember me by, because I wish I had something like this. All I have of my dad is um, a recording of him playing the guitar, with, which is cool. Uh, him and Jimmy Brown, who unfriended me because I was an obnoxious Jesus follower for a while there. And, uh, and then him saying hello on an answering machine. So this is something more. This is hopefully something that... You know, like, gosh, I hope like 50 years from now, uh, when I finally let go of this body, um, (laughs) that they can kind of listen to and have some fun with. So that's 90 seconds of your life you can't have back. Uh, It's uh, it's time to to jump in Um, as I kind of fake read and talk my way through this little post here. It uh, This little story of mine started on Valentine's Day. Uh, near Pismo Beach in California in 1978, because I'm freaking old. Uh, I don't mean uh, at the beach necessarily, but in that general area. I think my parents were on a date. They were in town for something. Uh, And nine months later, uh, this fat-headed baby came into the world. Apologies to my mother. The, uh, yeah, they must have been doing all right for uh, for a while there. That was like six years before the divorce. Uh, and yeah, I came into the world, I guess, I guess that technically means I'm from California, uh, which makes me automatically cooler. Uh, my parents were pretty cool in those days, from what I can tell. I've got a handful of pictures of them. I posted one on Father's Day of my dad, just kind of looking like a total badass. And I heard a bunch of stories about them from when they were in their 20s and 30s, and I guess their 40s too, uh, but I saw most of that, obviously. Um my my mom, I'm going to read a little bit. My mom once told me that they'd be out with friends and her and my dad would trade jabs to get their friends to laugh. My mom said she knew they were in trouble when she couldn't tell anymore if my dad was kidding. So they'd kind of go back and forth so much that they were the life of the party. But then I, I think my mom started to wonder, like, man, these jokes, they seem kind of on point or a little too accurate. Uh, I remember the day my mom told me, uh, I think she was crying. She told me my dad was going on vacation. I was like five or six. And, and I think she just didn't know what to say at the time. And that's how she explained it to me when my dad left or probably was told to leave. And I remember thinking like, why isn't he taking us? And she just couldn't bear to share it with me that they were, they were actually getting a divorce. And uh, I remember going to, uh, well, before that, actually, my dad, I guess he booked like a flight to Alaska and he spent like a year there. So my dad, this big, hairy, big, he was like 5'10". He's just this hairy, wannabe outdoorsman, old Corvette driving dude. Ended up spending a year on a fishing boat after they got divorced. And I uh, 
I think that's kind of awesome. Um, but apparently he had these, he had these massive glasses, these big, ugly things that I actually still have. They're in a box in my basement, these big, ugly things uh, that fell off his face. Like when he was on the boat fishing and he just didn't like have them for like a year. So, and this dude was blind. Um, cause those frames were thick and he couldn't see anything. And so he's in Yakutat, Alaska, um, working a fishing boat. And he shared one story from there that pops in my head right now of how like a, a presence, a being, some sort of ghost like hovered over him in his bed one night and pressed down on him and like weighed down on him, which is actually really similar to another story I've heard from my friend Travis of just similar thing. My dad said it was like this presence that he could kind of see and feel, but he couldn't, he couldn't move. He was like stuck in this spot. Um, or that could have been peyote. Um, totally fine with either version of that story. Uh, I think both are, totally possible. Uh, I remember, so when I grew up, uh, I was in, we were in Sholo as I was growing up. What happened initially was I had to choose where I was going to actually grow up, like specifically like with, with which parent. And we went to some kind of like courthouse one day and I remember sitting there, both my parents were there and some sort of judge or mediary, some person was there and they basically were asking me like where I wanted to live. I don't, I don't know if they did this with my brothers or what, or maybe they already made their minds up, but I think my parents were kind of both like hoping I would pick them and that I could pick which one I wanted to. And that's a wicked, crazy decision for a six year old. Um, my current six year old Hadley, I can't even imagine her in that scenario. And I mean, well, she would choose her mom a million times in a row. But in that moment, I, I chose my dad and, I, I don't remember living with him. I don't remember what happened next. It's like a weird kind of blurry season. I don't know if he just changed his mind or if I changed my mind, but I do remember picking my dad and, um, but then he kind of disappeared from my story and he became a truck driver uh, for Frey Miller, F-R-E-Y. I remember those big, beautiful blue trucks. They were so cool. And I remember he pulled up in this massive truck one day in Sholo and we were living in this little itty bitty house and it wasn't so small because I had like an upstairs in the little attic where I used to sleep I think um but he pulled up in this truck down this little tiny road I don't know how he got down or how he got out of there there were no u-turns happening and I remember he gave us a Nintendo which probably totally pissed my mom off because we probably weren't exactly rich and he was trying to earn points and ah the Nintendo that had to be like 83 or 84 and I remember it had this like Olympic pad you could run on and duck hunt and mario brothers and <laughs> we probably never went outside again that's actually not true i had an awesome childhood um man as i read through this this is kind of quentin tarantino shift but i had no idea how bad things were for my dad and that's you know just for you guys to know too and i had to deal with some of that stuff that he passed down he he was an alcoholic for most of his life but he kept it hidden from uh from us when we were kids and i i don't know what happened um, but in 1988, I was 10, the typo I'm fixing, I was 10 years old and we ended up moving in with my aunt and uncle. And, uh, that's kind of, the, that, that's sort of a fast forward because so much kind of weirdness happened in Sholo that I should probably, you know, riff on that a little bit before we moved in with my aunt and uncle, which was a rough year or two, whatever it may be. I think it was just one year. Living in Sholo was cool. I recently looked up that little house that we lived in that looked like a mansion in my memories. But now that I've 
driven past it and kind of Google earthed it or whatever. It was a tiny little kind of just normal little house. And growing up there, uh, I had a great childhood. Like I said, I'd go outside and my mom probably just told us to get out of the house and uh, come back at dinner or come back at lunch or whatever. And I remember just feeling like I could go as far as I wanted as long as I could still see the house or as long as I could find my way back. And our backyard felt like just a massive forest. My mom says it was acres of forest uh, until there was a highway behind it. Now there's a bunch of houses back there and just a little bit of trees. But when we were there, it felt to me like I was going into Narnia, although I didn't know what Narnia was. And my childhood was filled with just go figure it out. Like go figure it out. Go outside and come back when you're hungry. That's all we did. I'm sure we watched some TV. I couldn't tell you much of anything that we ever watched. Maybe the Smurfs? I don't know. But, yeah, Shola was good in some ways, at least as a kid, getting into some trouble. Maybe I'll come back to that. Um, But at my aunt's house, 10 years old, kind of a dopey kid, a little chubby. Um, Actually looking at a picture of me right now in this Arizona shirt with a duck on it. He's going swimming. Got a little pot belly. Nothing changed since then um and dude this house had uh eight people living in it so what was that 2919 north 75th place in scottsdale had this little house uh eight people three bedrooms i believe one two maybe two and maybe now there's like a bedroom in the back so i'm on a couch that's where i sleep every single day uh i sleep on this little couch my dad is just a train wreck at this point i think he just lost his job apparently and we're staying at his sister's with eight other people or a total of eight i forget the math and then um there were 27 cats that number has stuck with me since that day 27 cats uh the number would rapidly change some days like increase by seven or eight uh 27 cats and 17 dogs and one bird that uh, i killed and one bathtub no showers. Um, the tub wasn't even able to use, like be used because I remember there was just so much, it's like a bowl of hair. So if you wanted to take a bath, you had to like scoop out like the equivalent of six cats to get, uh, and so, uh, that bird. So my aunt went out of town for a few days, which kind of surprises me. And when she left, she asked me to take care of this bird. It was probably a pigeon. I'm, I, I kind of picture a perfectly functional bird that now is like a little prisoner to her love because she's the beast master. And she has so many animals. And I remember she told me to like go in there every few days and talk to it. Just go in there and check on it, feed it some food. My, my aunt was wonderful. So incredible, but kind of kooky when it came to the animals. And I was like, this bird doesn't need me to freaking talk to it. Like it's going to be, doesn't speak English, does it? And, uh, she cared for all these animals super well. So I bet she was in there every day talking to this bird at some point. Uh, she was usually sick. So maybe my uncle was in there. She was sick with a lot of things going through the years. And my uncle had the equivalent of like 11 full-time jobs taking care of these freaking animals. And he worked, uh, an actual job. But so this bird, so I totally forgot. <laughs> so she tells me to go in every, you know, every day, a couple times, talk to the bird. And on like day three, when my aunt's going to be home, I'm like, oh crap, I have totally forgotten to talk to this bird at all. And so I went in and I like, uh, I was like, I'm going to make up for lost time. I have a solution. Dun, 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 dun. And I, <laughs> I opened that laundry room and uh, I'm like, I got to make up for lost time. So I, you know, I walk in, I'm like, hey buddy, 
and straight dumb and dumber scene like this bird dies he just dropped dead like right on his cage floor he fell right off the little perch and died i like gave him a heart attack he was like three days maybe desperate lonely terrified and then i'm like leroy jenkins i come in and scare the literally scared him to death and he died i don't have any idea how i got out of that one i must have told my aunt something crazy i probably didn't lie to her but oh man i remember it was a few weeks later i don't know if it was a few weeks later that's just things people say uh but at one point at the house my aunt was caring for this cat and this cat was about to give birth so i'm avoiding the situation at all costs and for some reason she asks me to like go in there and you know help or watch or something and i'm watching this terribly kind of gross little miracle take place these little itty bitty cats are coming out there's like 84 of them that just kept coming and then one came out that i'm 10 years old goofy kid watching this take place and one came out that isn't breathing he's just this little itty bitty lump of cat like just slimy just came out of the womb and my aunt goes into like doctor mode and she starts rubbing its belly and like just you know talking to it and i was looking at this thing like that cat's not gonna talk back (laughs) that thing is dead but my aunt like believes in miracles and i watched her take this tiny little creature in her hands bring it up to her mouth open her mouth wide and she played She's going to eat that cat. And she placed the cat's face all the way in her mouth and went, like, like a, like you're trying to breathe stanky breath on someone. Like she did that into this tiny little cat and she freaking brought it back to life. (laughs) Like if she filled it up like a balloon, let the air out and did it again. And this little dude's like, here I am. <laughs> like, oh. made a tic tac after that story, man. Oh man, I woke up one day, uh, a few weeks later, and it was Easter morning, which meant nothing at the time, and except for bunnies and candy and Easter egg hunts. And I remember I woke up one morning and barfed right on the porch, like sitting outside. I remember my dad came out. He sat next to me, and he just, dude, was like best friend right and he comes out and he rubbed my back and i was like i'm not feeling good dad and his rubbing on my back is what made me hurl <laughs> i remember thinking oh i probably wouldn't have been like sick all over those four flowers if he hadn't touched me but he's just trying to help and my dad's like all right just go lay down buddy and I'm like, yeah okay so i go lay down and i wake up later on and i'm like all right i feel better let's do this and my dad is like you just slept 24 hours. <laughs> I slept all the way through Easter, which didn't matter because I remember the next Easter, I didn't get a single egg because me and speed and sports and yeah, that never went really well at that age. And so, oh man. Um, speaking of speed, I, uh, I'm just dropping memories on you. I remember getting the sweetest remote control car that year. My dad must have just saved up some money. I think it was from him. I don't know. But I remember it so fast. It was so fast. In fact, it was like so fast. We were out front playing with it in the street in front. 
of my aunt's house and my cousin Jimmy, welcome back to the story. He hopped on his bike by a Schwinn and he's like, I'm going to race you. And I was like, you can't beat this thing. He's like, I'm a, you know, he's challenging me. How old was he? He was what, 18. So he's junior or senior in high school, maybe just graduated. And he's got this dopey cousin living with him. I remember one time he's like, get your own house. And I was like, I'm 10 stupid. So that's another story. But he's like, I'm going to race you. And I was like, all right, let's do this. So I set up my remote control car. I'm going to punk this guy, who I actually really respected and liked and still do, even though we're not friends on Facebook anymore. And we line up my car, and he gets on his bike, and it's like, on your mark, set, go. And within, like, six seconds, he accidentally smashed this coolest gift I've ever had in my life. Just totally ran the freaking thing over, uh, which I guess he won, if you look at it. Um, but that's, uh, that sucks. That's about the same time that I figured out how sockets work. And if you put a knife in one, you get electrocuted. Yeah. I stuck a butter knife in a socket and I got worked. Um, and that same, uh, same season, speaking of butter knives, me and Derek, my old brother, who it's incredible how well he's doing. Cause he was said so was I, but he was such a douche when I was a kid. I think he'd say that. He's probably offended if he ever listens to this, but because <laughs> Derek's going to listen to this uh, my podcast. But I remember we would we'd get in these fights, and he was bigger and faster, stronger, whatever. I was four years younger, and I would sneak in like, uh, you know, he'd pin me down and beat me up a little bit or whatever, and I'd always wait for a moment. Like, I'd, I remember just waiting for him to just, you know, act like all right, like maybe the fight's over and he'd start to get off of me and I'd like kick him in the jaw or like suck, some sort of sucker punch. But one time, like he beat me up, had me down. He won this fight and I grabbed a butter knife and like, I was like, oh, I didn't even think about it. He beat the crap out of me and I grabbed this butter knife and, and then I chucked it at him. Like, threw it as hard as I could. And I was not thinking. And I remember like slow motion watching this thing twirl and hurl through the air right at him. I mean, I was the least athletic human on the planet, but I was dead on with this knife. And it hit him full speed right in the forehead. Like the handle hit him. Not the sharp part. Otherwise, this would have been written from, like, kid prison or prison. I guess that was, like, 30 years ago. But, dude, I got drilled him right in the head. That poor guy. I remember Jimmy chucked a – I think it was Jimmy or Sean or both of them at the same time. Threw a brush at Derek and it cracked his skull. Like, he broke on his head and he dropped to the floor. And, and oh, it was Jimmy because Nicole – Ran over and was like, what are you doing? And she just started pounding on Jimmy. Totally forgot about that. Oh. Yep. Didn't go to jail that day. He survived. Speaking of prison. Oh, that's too soon. Let's go back to Sholo. Um, <laughs> for a quick story. My parents were split. They had to be. I was five or six years old. And uh, we were, this is a story I've shared. Anytime I told the story of the prodigal son. Luke 15, um, I would share this story. And this is just, this is ridiculous. But I can't remember if any of my kids have heard this, but here it is for the ages. I was five or six years old playing outside during recess at a daycare center. And 
recess was over and now it was time to go back inside. So I remember we would all like line up and drink as much water as we could. And then we would all go to the bathroom. I remember like playing in this recess yard. This is just random, but I remember eating one day. I remember like eating little, like itty bitty, tiny little green, not buds, but like, I was a weird kid. I was like eating these little pods in the grass. Oh, that's um, not connected. But I remember, anyways, going and drinking a bunch of water, and then we'd go to these little these the bathroom where these little porta potties were. And when you're a little boy, like porta potties aren't up in the air; that's jacked up. <laughs> Bring them down. And so we had two lines in this bathroom that we're standing in. These little boys waiting to go pee, and you know we had these little Levi's, and you, know, you just when you're a little five or six year old, you drop your pants all the way to the ground, just like. Pastor Jeff at Cornerstone, <laughs> weirdo. Um, but anyways, you not Jeff Gilkey, the other one. The uh, so these little kids are waiting in this bathroom line. I'm in one line. There's a line next to me, and uh, the kid in front of me. As we were getting closer to it being like his turn and my turn after him, he started like laughing, like a little bit at first, just kind of giggling. Just like he had a funny thought or something like that. I totally can relate. I laugh at old things I've said and done. I'm the only one that laughs at those things. But anyways, he's starting to like laugh a little bit. And as he kind of steps closer, as someone gets out of you know line and they're done, and he gets closer, I remember he was laughing a little bit more. And by the time he gets up and he's next, this kid's busting up by himself. And we're all in line. So it's like military lining up. You don't look left. You don't look right. You don't look down. You just look straight ahead because it's a bathroom and this is a urinal. And we're about to drop our little itty bitty, you know, Levi's down to the ground. Just look straight ahead. There's, you know, this is why they put newspapers on the wall in the men's room or they used to. I'm like 800 years old. But now this kid is in front of me and he's laughing and, and I'm like, what a psycho. Like, why are you laughing? And he gets up to his turn. And again, it's like eyes straight ahead. Just ignore this weirdo. He's laughing. Nobody's talking. Nobody's doing anything except for this one kid who's laughing and everybody's peeing, right? Uh, or two people are. <laughs> and he gets up and it's his turn. So he's still laughing. He goes into his, you know, steps to pee. And the kid next to him does the same thing, right? Drops little Levi's or a little bitty shackles around his ankles. And then we figure out why this kid in Sholo, Arizona, who's probably in prison, why he was laughing. Um, because he had an idea. And the idea was that the moment he started peeing, he was going to turn his weight or turn his body towards the kid that was right next to him in the other urinal. And he just started soaking this kid just all over this kid's left leg, just all over the poor kid that's standing there. And he's just getting owned. And he's laughing the entire time like a total demon-possessed psycho. And he's just owning this poor kid. And it's splashing everywhere, all over his little denim pants. And the kid who's the victim can't move because he's, like, he's shackled, right? And he's just getting soaked. And he's got these little pants. And he's trying to pee, too. And you can't stop because it stings. And he's just getting owned by the. And I'm thinking, we're allowed to do this? Like, is this okay? Like, I mean, when I was 10, I remember we played some squirt guns and the team we were playing against, they filled theirs up with pee. This is different, man. This is like, 
right up in your business and he's soaking this kid. And I remember the teacher who was probably paid what, four bucks an hour at that point, 1983. She's not paid enough. She comes in and she sees chaos and she's like, you know, you got to separate these two. And one kid's weeping cause he's covered in urine and another, he's like laughing. He just ran for president. It, 2016 probably he's this little itty bitty demon who's like laughing and so the teacher's got to separate them and she's like you know what do you do hold hands <laughs> the kid that's a victim that he needs some comfort no not here. just go that way and she she brings them both out of the room and she like tells us to go in for what nap time i don't know we were we were in some room but we were talking we were like sitting there going what what is she going to beat that kid up? It's like, is that kid going to jail? What about the other kid? Like, does he, he just gets to go home. Does he have to go home naked? Like what the heck? Are, what happened? We don't know. Is this okay? We're forming our worldviews. We're in kindergarten or whatever it is. And like this, these are days when like teachers would spank kids. I got spanked. I got spanked at Blue Ridge Elementary. We had to line up. And I remember one day I got spanked by the principal or some dude. I don't know. Creepy. But so my worldview is like she could probably jack that kid up in there. But they were gone forever. We just sat there whispering, wondering what the heck was happening. And then the door opened to where they had been for what seemed like an eternity. And the two boys walked into the room. But now the one that was crying wasn't crying anymore. But the other boy was crying. And I was like, she hit him. But she hadn't hit him. I thought for sure she'd yelled at him or spanked him, which would have been totally acceptable in that day. But she was way smarter than I was because she made them switch pants. <laughs> it makes me laugh every time because of the brilliance. Like it, like this is, if I told this story in public, it's like, yeah, people always cheer and like fist pumps and they look at the person next to them like, uh, justice. Because uh. that kid that peed on the other kid now had to like spend the rest of the day in these like little itty bitty denim pants that were Ross Geller squeaky leather pants style. Ugh, and you gotta love it, right? And this is when I would transition in my sermon and be like, don't we love when people get what they deserve? People would be like, yeah. And I'd be like, what if God sends you to hell? I see that hand. I see that hand. Or something like that. Um, fun fact, I've always, from the moment uh, at Forest Home in 2001, that God saved me or whatever happened there. Um, I've from that moment on been a universalist, a Christian universalist at that. So the moment I just shared with you about eh, God's going to save you from hell. I just, that doesn't fit. Well, the Bible said, yeah, Bible says a lot of things, but let's come back to that later. So the next six or nine years, like I said, are a complete blur. We moved a lot, and I'm pretty sure I was with my mom for most of those years. I'm going to wrap this up in like two minutes. But those years, uh, I'm grateful for them. I'm sure they were hard, and we, you know, as, a, as three boys, fought a lot. But um, and then we moved um, to the city. And I do remember, I remember fourth grade when I was with my aunt in fifth grade. Uh, I was kind of a nerd. Because, well, partly because I stank. Like, I had 27 cats and 17 dogs, so I had this, like, stinky kid in class. And I remember <laughs> fourth grade, like, there was this kid, Brian, who if I thought about him long enough, I'd figure out his last name, and then I'd find him um, and send him a note saying, hey, buddy. 
um, he was like ribbing on ribby, ribby. Did I say ribby? He was just he was talking so much trash because I stank, and I remember being so embarrassed about it in class. I remember thinking like, what if I could get to class early and spray Lysol like directly above myself? Hopefully, no one sees this. And then the Lysol, this is my thinking at ten, will fall onto me and like make me smell good. And then nobody will care. But the nurse even, I'm sorry, not the nurse, but the teacher must have complained to the nurse. And she put me in this like special group for these kids who these kids like did not brush their teeth, like did not know how to use soap or anything like that. But I'm like, lady, I'm a fully functioning tween. I know how this stuff works. I like soap. I know how showers work. I prefer cleanliness. I live at a zoo. With 27 cats and 17 dogs, so I you can put me in this little special group if you want to. It gets me out of whatever class I'm supposed to be in, but I, I'm just going to smell. And that's the way things are. So, here we go on my little journey. Started in Pismo, ended up in Sholo. Stinky kid in class, but a goofy, happy kid. I mean, my mom, she did a great job. She was working hard. I know my there's probably stories about my dad that I don't know and I don't I don't want to know. I'm sure that was messy. But I'm not afraid to share any of that because I think it's better that way. That's a little kickoff to the first what five to ten years of my life. I really only remember things from five and six years old and then ten, seven, eight, nine. Who the heck knows? I don't remember, but I'm sure it was an adventure. So I'll jump in here uh, next time.